Hal Dubas mid-season availability today on Hockey Central at noon. At noon. He's running out of time to make a trade because we're now less than a month away from the NHL's trade deadline. But yeah, Elliot Friedman with the, the valid point about the lack of games here over the span. This is the real Maple Leafs trade deadline, isn't it? If you want to have a guy impact you for the longest period of time, considering we're still doing 14-day quarantine, even for guys that have been vaccinated and tested routinely. So yeah, feels like we're running up against it. Let's uh, let's talk to former Kings assistant GM uh, Mike Fuda is on the line right now. How's it going, Mike? Good guys. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. It'd be better if something happened because, yeah, the Leafs are off for a couple of days, so we're basically going to be running in circles here. And uh, yeah, I, I first question: How much do uh, GMs consider the thoughts and feelings of media members who have to do three-hour shows every day right. on the same thing? Good question. A lot? <laughs> uh, no, no. Oh. <laughs> kind of rude. No. Kind Not of at all. Well, now that I'm on the other, well, sorry, yeah. I apologize. You guys know this. You, you guys know that feeling, though. So. Yeah, it's it works both it works both ways. It's uh, I think right now, hundred percent. You guys are right. That the Leafs trade deadline is they're on the they're on the books right now. So, and they know that as well. I think it's just, but you can't. I think other teams know that as well. Hmm. It's going to be really interesting because it, like, the price has always changed. You get closer to the real deadline, but now with COVID and stuff like that, it's just such a. Nobody's going to do you a favor, but right now is the right now as far as the schedule and the the health situation and the COVID. It, this is the time that at least need to deal. Yeah, man, and it's why I would think that if you're a rival executive, you understand Toronto's position. One that. Yeah, they've got some downtime. They'd like to be able to change the narrative a little bit. They'd like to add some excitement to their team. They'd like to get someone who's on a friendlier timeline in terms of be, uh, the amount of games played. There's all these different things. So you got to imagine that the acquisition price is going to be higher right now and that there is a little bit of chicken and there's some cost-benefit going on for Kyle Dubas in terms of those added games versus the added asset that you have to give up. But what have you heard from guys around the league Guys, you know when it comes to when you they think they're going to start seeing trades, and and who blinks first on this? Well, somebody I think. Well, the team when you're selling, when you're selling, it's. I mean, normally you just write down all your offers, and it's and then you'd stand, you take your best offer. But there's certain teams are going to be on different timelines. Like for example, like this is a year that clearly have the team a team like Nashville is selling, mm-hmm. right? So. David Poyle's whole MO is this huge patient guy that waits right to the deadline. I mean, it's just a new, it's a new world. Like it, it doesn't make sense for anybody's timeline with his, and I don't, I'm not sure somebody that's that set in his ways is willing to adjust his time clock to where everybody else's time clock really needs to be giving the, giving the way of the sports world right now. So it's, it's interesting. I've heard crazy prices for certain players. I mean, for for example, I know when we traded uh, Muzz to the Leafs, uh, it, it, and, we, and we did it a couple weeks earlier, it was a first-round pick and a couple of prospects. Uh, I think it was in a Brunstrom and uh, Jersey. I've heard that even for like a like a Ekholm, it's a first-round pick and two of your best, pro- like the two best prospects on the sheet, 
that they identify. So it's and then and as well, teams are looking at the the picks and they want them a year out. They want them in, uh, a year from now because they're not sure how their staffs going to be able to prepare properly for this year's draft. So they want all your picks in 2022. I guess it would be. So it's, there's just so many different items because normally you would just say I, I want your first this year because I don't want to wait. But now because people can't scout properly, mm-hmm. they want all the picks a year from now. So there's just so many different dynamics that are different. But if I'm the Leafs, um, I, I think I have a bit of a different take on what I would add than than what I've heard publicly. But I mean, now's the time to try and make the trade. But you also can't just give everything up. Well, I want to get to a couple of the things that you touched on there, specifically what you would do. But you have done this. Like, you have been a part of a team negotiating with Kyle Dubas for a similar type of a trade. What What is it like dealing with him? What is he like during this time of year? He's just very honest. Uh, very honest. Very meticulous. He's, 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 he's <laughs> he takes a lot of knocks for, like, like, in the past, but I think this year with the team that he's put together, I still, I know everybody in Toronto's panicking over the, um, the results over the last little bit here, but I, I love what he's done. I think he identified the problems they had last year and in adding, you know, Thornton, I think they hugely missed what Wayne Simmons brings on a nightly basis, especially the way he was playing when he got injured. Um, even Bogosian it adds a little bit of dirt in the back end. I, I, I mean, I love the moves he's made. But he's meticulous. He's just, he takes his time, but he, in, in previous years, you have time, right? I mean, even when he was dealing with Rob Blake, it's, there are certain players that he makes it known aren't going to be moved under any circumstances. At least that was the case last year. Maybe that's changed this year. I mean, um, I don't know. Like, 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 for example, Sandine was a guy that was just a no-fly no zone, right? But I don't know how serious the foot injury is. My understanding is he's not even going to be available at all this year. Mm. So if, if you're, um, it was just a nasty, nasty injury. And I don't know, I don't know the specifics, but it wasn't, it's not just a regular bone break. So if you're a team, even thinking that's the guy you want, you got to be making sure that, that that's an injury that's, that's healing. <laughs> you know what I mean? The last thing you'd want is a name that obviously has got incredible potential, but if that foot thing's going to be a problem, for years to come, you've got to be careful in the asset that you're garnering as well. Yeah, that's the first we've heard uh, it be that significant that it could be like a career-altering thing. Uh, that doesn't. Uh, I, know, I don't know. I don't want to be like I'm not saying no, career-altering guys. I just think I'm just thinking. I don't think my understanding is because when they traded Lekin in, I I always thought he was kind of their number seven defenseman. Not that he was playing phenomenal or anything, but I thought he was kind of the next man up out of their their six that have played pretty well. I don't think I think it's not like Sandine's the next like ready to go anytime soon under my understanding. So yeah, we've talked about the idea of adding a defenseman and Ekholm has been a guy that's been linked to the Leafs been linked to a number of different teams. And it, it, it is the case that the, the seventh defenseman is not what it projected to be or was at times during the season. Where do you prioritize the idea of adding a defenseman, maybe someone that replaces Travis Dermott in season, but then Dermott becomes that seventh defenseman, gives you a little more depth on the blue line that they don't appear to have at the moment? My, my ad, if I was sitting in that chair, would be a defenseman. And it, it would be, and I wouldn't be concerned 
when you look at your picture when you throw it on the wall, right, you're especially a, a left shot D because they actually look really, I mean, they're whatever, they're not playing their best hockey over the last few games, but they're very, very solid on the left side. You know, when you go with is it Riley, Muzz, I mean, it, it, they, they've added Brody who plays the right side. But I, I think if the Leafs lose a forward, uh, whether it's COVID or an, an unfortunate injury, I love their depth. Uh, that they can, like, I, I think that third line is grossly underrated where a guy like um, Mekiev can jump up in the lineup. Hyman can play with anybody. Um, you just seem to have that next group before, even, even like Robertson still hasn't played a game. There's, there's guys that it doesn't scare me being able to throw some of the forwards into the mix and still not miss a beat. But if they lose the wrong defenseman, I think it grow, it, there's a huge drop off to the next guy that comes in. And I think given the grind of the playoffs, the amount of games that you're playing, having an extra defenseman. And again, when it comes down to when the Leafs struggle, it's, it's, it's keeping pucks out of their net and, and their defensive zone play seems to come into question, not nearly as much this year, but I think having another defenseman, it wouldn't worry me that, wow, what are we going to do? Someone's going to get bumped down a little bit because in the playoffs, it's, it's, it's irrelevant. You're, you're going to need the guy. And especially if it's a guy like a, and the price is huge, but a guy like Ekholm, He's got another year left in his contract at three seven five, so it's not crazy expensive. So it's not, and it's also not just a one. You're giving up assets. Uh, you're giving up assets for one year, and then he's going to go to UFA. I mean, he's got you've got him for at least another year on your books, so it kind of coincides with your window as well to win. So whether it's him, but I mean, again, I just think adding another defenseman is a huge piece to, to cover yourself. And if he's better than what you got, then he's better than what you have. So that, that's not a problem. But I would be very concerned that last year, Jake Muzzin, who I've been, I, I, I brought Muzzin to Los Angeles. I absolutely love him. But when he went out, the boat really got leaky uh, in the playoffs and there, because there wasn't that depth. And I think the teams that win, when a guy like that goes out, it doesn't get that, it doesn't get that leaky because it's you're, the guy that comes in to replace him is, is solid. So I think if you're an all-in situation with the Leafs this year, having another defenseman would be critical. Yeah, I I don't I definitely don't mind that idea. Listen, you add more blue line depth, you're all in. That's great. Your Muzzin point is a great one. I don't think that Toronto wants to be going back down to the Martin Marincin move. Uh, it's been pretty well established. <laughs> yeah. uh, you just yeah, nailed it. You just nailed it for me. As soon as you hear that name, and it's no, no. I mean, he could be salt of the earth. Obviously, he's a he's sure. a qualified professional. But when you hear he's that tall. name. <laughs> well, when you hear that name, I actually go from feeling feeling like an executive to a Leaf fan. Yeah. Thinking, that just doesn't seem right. That just does, it just throws the mix off dramatically, and I don't have as much confidence when, when he's in there, but that's just my Leaf fan. I just think there's that kind of depth, and Kyle's done a great job at covering the bases, is having that next man up be a little bit more significant is huge. Yeah. If it means, Derm- if it means Dermot's out of the lineup, so be it. That's a great seven to have in, but I just think there's a move to be made. And ideally, he'd be a right shot D, but hey, the world's not ideal all the time. It's just what's available, and it's not easy to find a right shot defenseman at the trade deadline that fits into your cap situation, but it'll be interesting. 
Well, it's why it's also probably important to keep Dermot because they still believe he can jump over the right side in a pinch if they need him to. So uh, you like having that flexibility. I don't mind adding a depth guy. I do think that if you're you're moving all in with your assets, if you're going big, I still think it's up front because, you, you know, when you mention the third line, it feels like it's, yeah, the third line's fine when it has Zach Hyman, but it's becoming more and more clear that you want that guy up the lineup and having Joe Thornton as one of your top six guys on the left wing and then having... Alex Kerfoot as one of the other guys like that doesn't really seem to fit and I I do wonder though if you are let's just say that we're going back to Nashville because we've we've talked about this guy a lot with Forsberg and Poyle wants to have one of these top end prospects that you have like you mentioned Nick Robertson's name he's the wild card where there's potential that he could step into your lineup and play top six minutes and be awesome he's got a great shot he skates well uh, he's had already some flashes when he's played up in the NHL but is it harder to identify that talent given all of the time off given like the injury stuff with Sandine is clear he hasn't played hockey for a year and now he's got you know a big fracture in his foot but with someone like Robertson do you think it's harder for a team like the Leafs to give up on someone that they haven't been able to evaluate as much or that it's harder for a team acquiring a player like that or inquiring about a player like that when they're when they've got inconclusive data and they're moving one of their big pieces it's tough under any circumstance because there's so much growth that still happen, right? It's such a small sample size of what Robertson did with the Leafs. Mm-hmm. It's a gamble. It's trusting your scouting staff. But I just can't see, like, first of all, if you're talking about adding Philip Forsberg, who I think is an absolute stud, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. How, first of all, I don't know how you get that done salary wise. Uh, they got to eat. Yeah, with that, well, eating it was one thing, but plus you're probably going to have to take something out of your current, like whether now you're probably going to have, I don't know, I'd be pretty surprised if that's a leaf, from a leaf standpoint, you'd have a heck of a, you'd love that conversation. But I mean, I think you probably got to start talking about Nylander if that that kind of trade is going to come into place. If you're giving up Philip Forsberg, who's a legitimate top six, a little bit of a downturn, but this guy... There, he, this guy, like a couple of years ago, was, we're talking top 10 forward in the National Hockey League, not just top six forward on a certain team. That you're not, I mean, from a Leaf standpoint, I get it. I went through it because all my friends used to say, hey, you know what? Give us Doughty and we'll give you like Marinson. Why didn't you? You claim you're a Leafs fan and then that. you didn't do that and everyone wanted it done and he would have been a great yeah. Leaf. <laughs> well, unfortunately, well, yeah, yes, yes. Anyways, so, um, <laughs> but I'm just literally, you look at Forsberg, you want to give up pieces that you identify, you know, when they're playing much better, but they're pieces that you don't really value as much, right? That you're not going to get Forsberg for something that a Leaf fan doesn't value as much. You're going to have to take a piece that is proven that can do it at the National Hockey League level, which is a guy that was drafted almost in a similar area. So for me, it, it, it plus you're, you're going to get the money out. I think that kind of trade involves giving up. On a, and I love Nylander. So, I, I mean, I'm not, I know a lot of people don't like his consistency. But now you're taking out a piece that you need to win to add a piece that you need to win. And it's a tough trade to make. I don't think a trade like that just gets done for picks and prospects. One, because... I don't think the prospects add up to the value of Forsberg. And secondly, I don't know how they do the dollars and cents for it to work. So, I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I want to be explicit. Like, how do you view uh, Alexander Kerfoot as a trade asset? I think 
think he's a good player. I think, I think he's exactly, he's a third line, he's a third line piece on, on a championship team. He's a third or fourth line player. Uh, so that's what you value him as. I mean, he's not a, I, he's a valuable player who I think Kiefer's really got the most out of this year. You can see that he's, he's got some very positive tools, but it's so easy as a Leaf fan to look at something like that and say, this is the guy we want to move. You know what I mean? <laughs> because you can see yourself still winning without him. <laughs> so I don't think as an opposing general manager, he can be a part of something because he's a very valuable piece, but he can't be the key piece. Um, because it's just, it, it, it depends what you're talking If you're, we're still on the Forsberg conversation. Okay. I'm not saying that there's not other trades that couldn't be made that Alex Kerfoot could be a part of because he's a very solid National Hockey League player. But when you're start talking about an uh, elite, legitimate top six forward, I don't see how that is anywhere close to the piece. No. Or if, if that's the key piece, it's just it's just not going to happen. COVID no. or not, no, no COVID. I, I think what we're trying to drive at is a question that we've had about Kerfoot for a while, which is how negative is his value? Because you just said it. Like, you, he's a guy who can play on your third or fourth line, but you're not necessarily going to miss him. Well, guess what? Nobody in this flat cap era wants to be paying a guy who could be on your fourth line $3.5 million and who doesn't look like a centerman. Like, he's a winger at this point. That's very, very clear. They prefer Engvall to him down the middle. And my thoughts on Engvall are not overly positive either. Like, I, I really think that Toronto really, really, really could use a depth centerman for the reasons of Kerfoot doesn't really work out. So, no, the Kerfoot thing is about, hey, it's trying to make the money work. But it sounds pretty clear that, listen, you're a guy who has made a living off of being incredible when it comes to identifying young talent. Like, that's what you do. You you know. So in a year where it's probably harder to do that and people would be coming to you now more than ever, I'm guessing that there actually are like other GMs or people that are soliciting your opinion on certain guys that if you're trying to get a big major piece off of a roster like a Forsberg, teams are less likely this year, given the lack of information they have about young talent and the future of what first-round picks are going to be or when you're going to get them or what drafts are going to look like or how young players are affected by them, that even someone like Nick Robertson, who we would have, like, my ideal trade package for a Forsberg would have been something like, you got to take the Kerfoot contract, you take Pierre Engvall, you take Nick Robertson and a couple of first-round picks, and that's the, the package that you're offering over to the other side. And then maybe one of your other prospects, like a middling kind of guy, like if they like a SDA or something in those lines. Maybe even it gets all the way up to the guy you had this year, Rodion Amarov. But it's harder to make this deal because people don't know things, and so prospects and picks right now are worth less than in a normal year. Is that kind of the the gist? Yeah, I think that's a very good, uh, very good analysis of it. I think, but I do, I do think that if I'm looking at this Leaf roster, knowing that, um, well, first of all, again, it's like, it's something in Toronto. You look at it, and it's like. You know, you want to build like an NBA team where you're, well, I want my third-line centerman to be an absolute stud. Well, I do. in a salary cap era, well, I know you guys do. Yeah, big time. I'm sure, Kyle, I'm sure Kyle does too, but that's just very difficult to accomplish when you're, you know, with the contracts you've got to your, to your young superstars. To just add that kind of piece is not inexpensive. But the one thing that I do believe, and I don't know this to be factual, is that I don't think there's anything in the Leaf – prospect system and that doesn't mean i think it's very strong that is untouchable with this roster like regardless of who 
values what on the other side of the table and whether guys haven't got a chance to see Nick Robertson or especially Amarov, the, the Russian player that you just alluded to. I think it's Amarov, how we pronounce it. But there is nothing in my prospect pool that would be untouchable if I have a chance to put this team over the top uh, or at least give it a, you know, at least tighten it up. Because I, I still, in spite of the last few performances, um, it doesn't bother me as much with the Leafs because it, it, it concerned me more in a short period that they were pitching near A games. Like that series in Edmonton was like a Picasso, right? And they're missing, the, they're, you know, three different goalies. They're missing Matthews a couple games. And they just, they just took them to another level of beatdown. So I would, it would worry me, wow, they're peaking early, right? And that's, <laughs> so I was like, how are they going to have any adversity? Because this Canadian division, they've just got it. They're wiping it out. So they've got some adversity now. So it's good to get their adversity out of the way now so they can reclaim their A game. Because their A game is so far ahead of anybody else in the North. It, yeah, it should make it, it, and that's why I truly feel I truly feel that way. And I think with all the everybody's going through it. I mean, I talk to different general managers, I talk to players, coaches. This COVID stuff is really grinding on them. Like, like their entire travel is completely different. They're they don't know whether they have the flu or have COVID. I mean, LA didn't. They sat fourteen guys at practice on Saturday and then get snowed into Denver. It's just so many different pieces that are wearing on these guys. So the Leafs go on that road trip. The team that's supposedly nipping at their heels, Edmonton, they wipe them like they look like a, an American League team, and they've got two of the best players in the world. And then they got a, they got complacent. And I would be more of the that a that a game will come back. They'll get it back. Sheldon, I have the ultimate faith in Sheldon that he'll get it. They get it there. I also think that although you might not think he's the first line left winger and Joe Thornton, that. Joe Thornton is one of the best leaders in sports, period. No doubt. And, and having him in that dressing room, I mean, and I've said this like, I mean, I, I very close relationship with Wayne Simmons. Wayne Simmons and Joe Thornton did not come to the Toronto Maple Leafs to win a playoff round. Okay. <laughs> they came here to get their first Stanley Cup. And the leadership that they bring to that room is just so, so valuable. So, I, I just don't – I'm not as concerned that they won't find their A game. I mean, I know other teams are coming along and they're looking better and there's good chemistry and Daryl's in Calgary now and the Winnipeg Jets look great. And I would – the Leafs are going to get back to that Edmonton. I mean, I just, I just want them to get back to it whatever, 24 games from now. Uh, and it's good that they've got tough games to play right now. I use the analogy when we were in ninth place – in 2012, when we brought Daryl Sutter in, every game down the stretch was just to get in the playoffs was a, a playoff intensity. And the Vancouver Canucks were in first place, and they had an asterisk beside themselves for like almost a month and a half of being in, being that they were there, they were the champs of the division. So we were so war ready when we got to that series with Vancouver. We actually felt like we were the favorites. We couldn't tell them that, but you know. We we ended up right, sweeping them, like so. It's it's one of those those things that these little bits of adversity just get you more ready for the playoffs. And I've, n- I've never had as much confidence in a Leaf roster uh, as I have in this one of being ready when it comes time to play for keeps. 
Yeah, man, I'm I'm with you, and it's why I I hear you in terms of being a guy whose entire life being from here, and then working professionally in hockey has dealt with fantasy camp trades from friends, family, passerbys, like that from from a Leaf fan perspective, right? So it goes, yeah, they're not going to get Drew Doughty for Martin Marincin. Like that's not really what they're looking at here. But I I, I think it is an important perspective to have from a guy like you because we've said it, man. The Leafs are never going to have a better chance to win a Stanley Cup. I agree with you. The team is obviously good. But if all of a sudden you can tell me that they've got a Joe Thornton, Jason Spezza, Wayne Simmons line that plays, you know, 12, 13 minutes a night and can be sheltered and get some good offensive zone starts because they've added someone in that top six or they've added that third line center that actually can move the needle for you and, and drive a line that lets you put Zach Hyman up the lineup. Yeah, I, I think it's a huge difference maker for them. And yeah, this does all of a sudden feel like a ton of pressure on this team to add something that is significant because you're never going to have a division that lines up this well for you where you're clearly the more talented team or the most talented team. You're probably never going to have this group of veterans that you've assembled here where guys all took uh, friendly money deals like Simmons and Thornton and Spezza who all help you and have that leadership component. Like This is kind of the perfect storm, and it really does come down to, hey, who's the best player that you can add? And make sure that you take advantage of this so that you don't feel like when you lose a series that it came down to the fact that you didn't move a, yeah, an Amarov. Like, that that makes no sense to me at this point. And, yeah, I, I, I just think that a lot of people are with you. It's just a matter of where do we get to, where does it go from being a fantasy trade to a reality trade? And, and I think that's going to be really fascinating over the next couple of weeks. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. But I, I, that being said, I mean, if you control a banner up in Toronto – yeah. Uh, after whatever fifty three years, they're going to get over. They're going to get over the pieces that left. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, there's no question. At least for at least a couple of weeks. <laughs> at least a couple of weeks before they get mad at the pieces that are left. I, I just. I, 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 but I, I have to tell you that every you have to understand, and I know this is Toronto, and everybody just cares about the least. The other teams that are supposed to contenders have the exact same problems. I mean, I know like it's a little different in the states because I know Boston's really all over at home and there's no worries about quarantine, et cetera, et cetera, with the US to US component. But if it would not concern me one bit how if this team stays healthy, if this roster stays as is, and you put Wayne Simmons back in and just pretend you acquired him at the trade deadline and you hope that Simmer, you know, he's you know he's been working hard, but I mean that his wrist is solid and he can play the way he needs to play. And you look at that as a trade acquisition. Uh, I think if you look at, I, I mean, again, I have, I have bias, but I can't believe the lack of respect that Jack Campbell gets. <laughs> it's almost like he's an afterthought uh, when he's healthy. Because well, he doesn't play, Mike. He doesn't play. He's hurt all the time. Well, he's he's band well, he, well, when he's, he's not. Listen, first of all, when he's healthy, they don't, he, he hardly plays, which is, yeah. for me is an issue. So um, this guy is an absolute same thing leadership-wise. This guy is – I would not be worried if, if Jack's healthy and Freddie goes down. I think mm-hmm. you've got a guy that can carry you to the Stanley Cup. That's how strongly I think of Jack Campbell. So it's, it's, there's so many pieces here that if this team doesn't make a move, I still, I still think they're the best team in the North. I agree. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a battle, but I still think they're the best team in the North, and I still think there's enough pieces that have been added – to address their deficiencies when they run into Tampa Bay's and Boston's, it doesn't just wipe them off the mat either. Like Austin Matthews, right? I mean, and again, these are all this is 
knock on wood, that they remain healthy. But these guys have learned a lot of lessons. And then you add to the leadership component of the guys that they've added to the room. They're going to be ready when playoff comes, whether it's south of the border or north of the border. So I, I have the utmost confidence now if they can add that piece 100% without up, without your chemistry being because this team clearly cares about one another. I mean, yep. I've talked to guys like Jake Muzzin who said, you know what, like the one thing about your – you can tell when you're running a team when your room truly cares about one another. And the fact that with no fans in the building, the amount of fun this group seems to have, even when they're celebrating goals and just like this just in general, it's got that championship feel to how much they care about one another, yep. which you can't, which you can't put a price on. And, and clearly internally they would know that too. So this is, I mean, I know it's always a leaf loving, but I truly, truly believe in this group. Uh, and because I know a lot of them personally, and I know yeah. how much they know what it would mean for Toronto to win, but I wouldn't be pulling the wrong piece out. I wouldn't be too dismissive of Joe Thornton because he's not a first-line left winger and he can't keep up with the, the value that these guys bring to the picture. It's, it's going to be fun to watch. Just, my biggest thing is stay healthy, and I, I truly would love to see them add another piece. Uh, it doesn't bother me one bit if it involves picks and prospects, but I'd be really careful about taking something out of that dressing room yeah. that, that matters. No, it might not matter to all I don't these think guys. they will. I, I don't think that they're, that, that's it. Like, I don't think that they're taken off of the roster. And I know you love this team because it's all guys that you identified, right? <laughs> it's all dudes that you're like, hey, I, uh, I, this is Jack Campbell. That's my guy. Hey, Jake Buzzin, that's my Mike guy. Wayne, yeah, exactly. These are your guys in your city, of course. Like, And no, you're right. There's obviously a sense of urgency. I, I got one last thing for you, though, Mike, because you, you said Austin Matthews' name, and I'm, I'm glad because it, it seems pretty clear somebody's told you about Sandine or giving you a bit of a heads up on the injury. I was saying yesterday that the one thing I'm really nervous about with this team is not what they've done in the losing streak. I would say it's probably Freddie Anderson's play. But when it comes to the actual roster, it's that Matthews isn't shooting and he's playing in a different spot on the power play. And if they didn't want to rest him in a back-to-back against the Ottawa Senators and they didn't want to hold him out of the lineup, that maybe, just maybe, what it means is the wrist is not going to get a lot better through rest and that it might be a surgery thing that he needs down the line. And so he's just playing through it because it doesn't really make a difference. Have you heard anything on Austin's wrist? No. I, and if I had, honestly, guys, I, I wouldn't. Even sharing the Sandine thing, it's, 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 not a, it's not a medical report. Like, I'm not talking to a team doctor. Sure. I, just, I, I just heard from a, 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 a good source. That it Basically, was not you're a saying if you heard about Matthews's wrist and you revealed anything, uh, that someone would take I would, you out. I would. Someone's well, taking you out. First of all, that's how I that's would, how protected I, it is. I would not reveal anything about if I knew about his which and these these things don't get revealed, um, especially when you're top stars. But I will tell you, it's like we don't know. I mean, again, it's leaf, leaf, leaf. So if if Mark Shifley last year in the playoffs gets hurt. You know, you're, everything changes. I mean, that's part of the game. You just you got to hope and pray. So that's the, they're dealing with the same stuff. If you use the wrong guy, all your dreams get soured, right? That's why you want to have as much depth poss- as possible to get through stuff like that. And most teams that win, like the year we won in 2012, we had the same six defensemen play from Christmas to the day we hoisted the cup. Like that's unheard of. Like that's just fortunate, especially when you got guys that we had, like Matt Green, shot blockers, Willie Mitchell. These guys weren't like. These weren't ballerinas. These were warriors 
and somehow they gutted it out and we had the same six through the whole thing. You've, you've got to have luck to win this, to win this thing. And luck sometimes just involves remaining healthy, but there's every other team in the group. I mean, like last year, the Tampa does it without Stamkos, right? This year, I mean, I guess he's coming back, but they, you know, they're doing it all without Kucherov. So you just got to imagine these teams that the Leafs are, they've got that much depth that if they lose the wrong guy, it's just the house of cards isn't coming down. And that's why I've always, in my mind, that there's enough depth up front to get through an injury that you don't want to imagine. I don't know if there's enough depth on the back end to get through an injury uh, of significance. Uh, Mike, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks, hopefully just a couple of days because of the lack of games here for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But, yeah, we uh, – Really appreciate you taking the time for us today. Thank Can't you, wait to Thanks, text God. you all my fantasy trades this week. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to go it's down 100%. That, that <laughs> trade remember, didn't go through. Yeah, yeah. Remember, remember that salary. Remember that salary cap. Nah, that's for you. That's for that's your that's your end of the deal, buddy. Save it, nerd. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks, guys. Have a great day. All right, you, you too. Man. Mike Fuda, former uh, Kings assistant GM. There's like so many things out of that that I think, well, one, one has changed – my viewpoint of the defenseman thing, but two has informed me a little bit better about the return on things. Um, where do you want to but, start? Well, no, I would just say very quickly, I've never been of the position that I don't think the Leafs would add a seventh defenseman right now. Mm-hmm. Although I would say that if Sandine is that hurt, mm-hmm. uh, it does make it far more urgent because you did think, okay, well, if this guy's back in two weeks... It's still before the deadline. You're able to identify if he's skating okay, if he's going to be – if he's not healthy before the deadline, I don't know how you can't possibly – you have to add a depth defenseman. My position would just simply be the same thing as I said before. I don't think you need to go get an Ekholm. I think you need to go get a really, really good seventh defenseman, someone who you're back to the debating of is letting it in, is letting it out because – we didn't get to talk about it with Mike because we had so many other things. I still believe that the Lettinen trade was made for two reasons. One, you don't need his skill set as much as you need the other one when it comes to a depth guy that's filling in. And two, they probably made a deal with him, a wink-wink handshake deal, that in a free agent year, they would give him an opportunity to go play somewhere, and they wouldn't deny him that if he wasn't cracking the roster. Well, it's, so, not, that, it's not that cloak and dagger. They said it explicitly. Yeah, and yeah. this is about... I, I said it, greasing the skids, making sure you still have a good relationship with those players yeah. that are coming overseas, that you're not going to just bury a guy. And they gave him a chance, and he didn't perform poorly. That's the thing. He didn't fall all over himself, throw up on himself. He performed well, was deserving of a shot in the National Hockey League, not for a team that's first in the division, not for a team that has six pretty good defensemen that have been healthy pretty much for the, the whole season outside of Jake Muzzin getting his face broken a little bit. Yeah, my main thing is that... Mike is right, or at least I agree with Mike, that the Leafs are the best team in this division when healthy without a move. But that's all—that's why you make the trade to add as much as you possibly can when it comes to things that are off the roster. Obviously, they're not going to touch William Nylander. That's not going to happen. I don't think that they're going to touch anyone above Alex Kerfoot when it comes to salary, and I don't think that they're going to be trading any of the meaningful veterans. Essentially, what they are looking at, I believe, is the money that could come off the roster is Engvall or Kerfoot. 
one of those two guys or that both. they would pay in prospect capital to get rid of either of them and to take on someone of significance. The question is, who is that guy? Forsberg, that dream is dead to me upon yep. talking to Mike. That's yeah. over. Because, because what he said makes sense. Yeah, they want a they want a roster player. They want someone yeah. who can who's an established yeah. NHL player right now in the Maple don't have that. Don't have anyone of value. Yeah, Alex Kerfoot's not. Not that you're going to trade. Yeah, not but that yeah, you're going to no, trade. Hundred percent. That's how I felt as well. Hearing that because I like Nick Robertson, and yeah, I like Rasmus Sandin, but like you said, I mean the Sandin injury throws a wrench at all this. But yeah, the evaluation of younger. Uh, talented players, prospects is basically impossible. The traffic yeah. thing was super interesting too about this year's upcoming first round picks not being nearly as valuable as, as 2022 as well. It also made me think about how Sandine's injury, I'm not saying that they would have necessarily been dangling him or wanted to, but how it impacted them at this deadline. That had he been healthy and having a good year down at the AHL level and pushing for minutes and maybe even pushing Dermot out of his spot, how Maybe he would have been a roster player, and maybe he would have been someone that would have been coveted by a team dangling one of those major pieces. That 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 really hurt them, not just from his development standpoint, but as a, as a trade piece in an all-in season. Yeah, my lasting thought after that conversation was the conversations that we've had with people who talk about you don't need six defensemen in the playoffs; you need like seven, yeah. eight, nine. And yeah. right now, Maple Leafs only have six. I actually want to keep talking about the Leafs because Mike said a lot of interesting things and Elliot Friedman said a lot of interesting things on 31 Thoughts, the podcast, which is, again, available wherever you get them, Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, whatever. Uh, obviously, if you're a fan of this show, you're probably pretty aware of 31 Thoughts and you probably listen to it because Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman do a great job and there's a ton of good info there. But basically... I, I know Elliot hates when people misquote him, but uh, at the risk of making him angry, and then he can basically cut this phone line, my understanding from 31 Thoughts was essentially that it's a long shot for the Leafs to get Eric Stahl. The reason being the quarantine for two weeks is a massive wild card for a guy in his 30s that Ricard Raquel, someone who should have been a Maple Leaf in the first place, but bad trade, his price point is extremely high, which also makes him a long shot. Never did Elliot say they're out on these guys, just long shots. God, I hope I get this right. I feel like I'm on a balancing beam here. That's still the guy and still the team that you're looking at is... The guy all along, which was Granlund. And you're frozen right now, and you look hilarious on my screen. It's very distracting. You look funnier. You look funnier. I got to tell you, I I, got to send it to you. But that, yeah, maybe they would inquire on an Ekholm, but that a lot of teams are going to be in on Ekholm. And, yeah, he's also going to have a Muzzin-type package. And like we've discussed, how, how do you justify having Ekholm, Muzzin, and Riley knowing how you're going to try to divide the minutes up. Like, I, I don't know how that works. Especially considering, okay, so now you got to play Bogosian more with Ekholm? Who, who is Ekholm playing with? I, I don't know how it, the minutes get distributed. After talking to Mike, 
and removing some of those, what I think are fantasy camp trades, even though I've been doing them in Forsberg or knowing that that is now a fantasy camp trade. It's starting to feel like everybody should be setting their expectations for the deadline a little bit lower and... I don't know what the reaction to that is going to be. I think it's going to be measured. There's going to be extremes. But for the most part, it really should be, hey, Toronto's a really good team. If they add a really good piece and it costs you a little bit more than in a normal given year, you still do it. But, yeah, it's. I, I don't think they're going to do nothing. But I also don't believe at this point they're going to do something that's Taylor Hall, Philip Forsberg splashy, right? No. And you hit on a couple of the reasons, but yeah, the, I think the biggest reason is, well, one, the Sandine injury throwing things into flux, and if he mm-hmm. was going to be a part of the whatever trade package, a guy who's shown that he can play the National Hockey League level already and maybe in a different team would have been playing this year. So if he's mm-hmm. out for this year and his future is in doubt, that's a massive deal. Secondarily, the evaluation of young players is nearly impossible, and teams don't view the Amarovs the same way they might have in years previous where they could go and see them physically they could travel and watch these players play they'd be playing in different leagues they'd be playing more that those are the things the Maple Leafs have to trade they have one guy that matches salaries for people and is not a negative asset but not great you don't feel great if you're acquiring Alex Kerfoot at three and a half million dollars and he's a third line player for you who can't play up the middle other than that The rest of the stuff on the roster that would be headed back in trade doesn't make very much money and is not something that you would covet highly, unless it's a a defenseman, like a Travis Dermott or something, but again, a a free agent coming up as well, and you're not touching what has been one of the biggest strengths of this team to this point. It just, it it really does feel like Kyle Dubas is going to try because of all the reasons that we said, because he sees how good this team can look when it's at its best, but... Other teams just have more on the roster to to throw at teams in regards to trade than the Leafs do. Man, Alex Kerfoot, the more and more you look at it going into this deadline, how deadly it is. Just to not have that $3.5 million and to not have... Again, I I understand that Kapanen was moved for a good price. But we said it yesterday that the pieces that you have for Kapanen right now are less valuable than the sure thing of a Kapanen going the other way. And it's not even like Alex Kerfoot is $3.5 million on your cap this season. Or that even when they signed it, $3.5 million, you know, you do have to give it that tiny grain of salt, which is the cap was supposed to go up. And so three and a half wasn't supposed to mean what it means right now in this season. But there's two more years at the end of this one with Alex Kerfoot making three and a half million bucks. And it it feels more and more like, I hate saying it, but like the Marlowe thing where you have to pay a first to get off of that money. Who wants Alex Kerfoot at three and a half million dollars in a flat cap era when he's not a center? He's playing on your second line as a winger. But, yeah, would you? Would I like to swap out the guy who actually has a history of scoring and maybe didn't work with the top, top-end guys in Kapanen, but a guy who's scored before? Yeah. And Kerfoot has never done that, and he's been a, I, 
yes, the metrics were extremely kind to him when he was in Colorado, but has never been a guy that you expected to to light up the scoreboard. And yeah, he can play in all situations. He can kill some penalties for you, and he's very fast. Guess what? Kasperi Kapanen was also very fast and killed penalties for you. I think if you swap the two right now, you'd be very happy as a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But this is it. And I said it yesterday. We're going to view the Kerfoot, Kadri, Barry thing as the worst thing to happen to this franchise if they don't end up winning a cap or winning a cup uh, under this regime in this Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares era. There will be one reason yeah. we can point to is that trade for a multitude of reasons. Mm. I don't know if it'll be the one thing we point to. I think it'll be one of the things we point to, but I do... I, I guess talking to Mike, there was a few things today that were really revealing. One is, again, Sandine's where he's at physically. Two was that to get Philip Forsberg, it's not going to be players primarily off the roster, especially when you consider that Kerfoot has to go the other way. But three was when he talked about Alex Kerfoot, he said he's a fine player, He's on third liner slash fourth liner. The idea that he would be down on your fourth line or on a team's fourth line when the Leafs can go out and get Wayne Simmons, Jason Spezza, and Joe Thornton for what? A combined $3 million? Literally those three guys, I think, make less than Alex Kerfoot. That's a really, 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 really tough pill to swallow moving forward, and it's a really tough pill, I would imagine, to move in a trade. I, I just – it's not good. It – it makes you almost wonder that if they are going to add someone like a Granlund, if they would actually just more likely be trying to move a guy like Engvall, take on the Granlund contract, get them to eat a little bit of money, and then not pay the, the price of trying to get rid of a Kerfoot or just leave Kerfoot because you actually can't do better in terms of adding another guy that plays the minutes and the role that he does on this team. Like... Do you know what I'm saying? That to get rid of him and then also replace him, that the, the price is actually just too high to do those two things simultaneously. You're probably just going to have to keep him. It's an even worse contract than we thought. Yeah, uh, I'm with you 100%. That, yeah, that if it's, it's, if it's onerous, if it's not helping you in trade and it's only mm -hmm. helping you with the money and you're not ending up with a Forsberg-caliber type player anyways, then, then why mm -hmm. bother? Then just eat it because at least he's playing minutes for you and he's – He's not a zero. It's not like he's on the verge of not being in this lineup for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's on a penalty kill, which is not great. But he is mm -hmm. killing penalties, and he can mm -hmm. play center for you in a pinch. Like, he's he's center insurance for you, I suppose, not unlike Marlowe was at one point for, for this Leafs team. But, yeah. Uh, it, I, I like think that what you're doing is you're trying to get Granlund. You're trying to get Granlund, and you are saying Granlund plays on the left wing next to Tavares and Nylander. You're keeping Hyman on the top line. You're moving Kerfoot back to hopefully play that third-line center role, and you're going and saying, hey, the, the objective that started the season of having a third line that kills minutes, yeah, they're back to that. That essentially you have Kerfoot in the middle, Mikheyev on the left, and then... I don't know. Maybe that's where Wayne Simmons slots in. Nick Robertson. And then fourth line, Joe Thornton with Jason Spezza. Nick Robertson's the wild card for this team as well. 
how much they expect still... him to factor in and and how much he can factor in and how early you see him and whether you want to, to drop him in a top six role in a season mm-hmm. in which you're supposed to win the Stanley Cup. I think he's still the more – he's the insurance that Mike talked about where he says, hey, if you suffer an injury to somebody, you feel a little bit better that, that he can jump in the lineup rather than it's a, hey, the plan is for this guy to be in the lineup. Uh, plenty of time to figure it out because Kyle Dubas is on the phone right now, I can guarantee you, uh, right before he does his midseason media availability, which, again, is coming your way at noon today, which you can hear on Sportsnet 590, The Fan.